Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the March 12, 2023 session, focusing on Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Justified. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm David Adams. So someone during our little pre-show chatter complained that the philosopher was in charge of picking the lead-in questions. This is true. That was me. <laughs> which which is true. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm terrified I'm going to get essay answers. I, I don't really want that. But You ask it. <laughs> but, you know, in a brief fashion, a very brief response, do you believe we ultimately get what we deserve in this life? A very brief response? Hmm? Yeah. No. <laughs> explain. Yes, you can explain a little bit. Well, last time I saw questions like this and David Adams was around, I had to write like 12 to 20 pages on it. So I don't know. <laughs> Footnotes, everything. Yeah. <laughs> Formatted correctly. Get this was our final exam in our semester grade. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just think uh, obviously, well, no, I don't think kids who die from diseases get what they deserve in this life. No, I don't think mob bosses and horrible, cruel dictators and fascists who live to be 80 and 90 years old get what they deserve in this life. No, no. In this life, no. I would go with no also for all the reasons that Bert mentioned, but also on the other side. Like I was born into a loving, caring family and I did nothing to deserve that. You know, I was born with quite a bit of privilege and I got none of that because of anything I did. And so I think it goes both ways that sometimes we get more than we deserve mm. and sometimes we get less than we deserve. I always told my kids like that that's not fair like when they were younger. That's not fair. Say so you're right. It's not fair because you got way more than you earned. They didn't like that. <laughs> By the way. That did not go over well. But yeah, I I agree. I don't think. Yeah. The word you look for there is, is no. In this life, no. But I would argue because I don't think anybody deserves anything. Just just for starters. But the other point of that is I've heard too many school teacher stories. You know, and the kid that never gets sick in your public school is usually the one that's hardest for the teacher to deal with. And they show up every day and make the teacher's life miserable. Every day. Every day. They don't ever get what they deserve. Yeah. I, I think I would have to go with no as well. If we all pass. It, I mean, sometimes we, we do get what we deserve and that's not good. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, because there is a thing, I think, like natural consequences that Sometimes is a reality, but not always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it seems the meanest people prosper the most. So, so no. Uh, in fact, it, it's kind of a bummer, right? Because we we have this calculus in our brains that tells us that the world ought to operate a certain way with certain kinds of rewards and punishments, and it doesn't work that way at all. Anyway, the good news for all of us is one. This is not going to be graded. And two, <laughs> we Yay! have we have Dr. David Adams here with us today to to sort all this out from a scriptural basis. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. yes it's going to be You're great. You're going to tell us Yay. 
about getting what we deserve. Can you put right. the meaning of life in there as sure. you go to? Okay, thanks. We'll, we'll try. Let, let's try. Here we go. When I was a whole lot younger, there is a well-known song based on the poem Desiderata. It wasn't much of a song, really, so much as a guy with a deep voice giving out affirmations contained in the poem. While the choir of women occasionally sang affirming things in the background about how we're all children of the universe and everything was going to be okay. I admit that it didn't comfort me very much, though I did find solace in hearing it read later by Leonard Nimoy, who could read a phone book and inspire me simply because he was Leonard Nimoy. Still, there are enough people thinking that it was a great song that it can still easily be found in many forms on YouTube. Actually, I did find comfort in the song after a while because National Lampoon picked it up and remade the song as Deteriorata, which had the stirring chorus that you are a fluke of the universe. You have no right to be here, and whether you can hear it or not, the universe is laughing behind your back. I still remember great lines like, Consider that two wrongs never make a right, but three do. Know yourself. If you need help, call the FBI. Let not the sands of time get in your lunch. Or take heart against the deepening gloom that your dog is finally getting enough cheese. Now, I don't want to give away the ending to this piece, but I always laugh a lot when I think of it. For some reason, this song pops into mind whenever I hear someone raise the issue of justification. Being a white person in America... I hear a lot of people speaking affirmations about how we somehow deserve better things in a more privileged place. It seems like you can't watch television anymore without seeing some commercial that tells us that we deserve something, much less move around in the world without encountering a similar message. This message that we deserve something isn't just a throwaway that we ignore. It'd be great if it was. But it has become a source of identity for increasing swaths of people. For a while, the rest of the world just called us ugly Americans. Now we have the term Karen. In Romans 5, Paul talks about real justification as opposed to the sense of entitlement that so many of us seem to possess. Justification, the idea that we are right with God, isn't something that we deserve but something that was bought for a price. Now, traditionally, this is the central message of all those sermons about substitutionary atonement. So if you had that on your bingo card, you might be a winner. Still, I think that this can be an easy way to get out of this subject without really thinking about it. Paul does touch on this subject, but there are some points here that indicate that it's not just some sort of transaction we made with God in order to find our place. In Paul's view, we gain this sort of standing through God's grace as something we don't deserve. If we have anything to boast of, it's not that we somehow deserve anything. It's that we've been allowed to work through our suffering to grow into a situation where we have some hope that God's coming to us in person has allowed us to be fully reconciled with God. But those are words we don't often want to see. We don't want to be told that we are expected to suffer and grow. We don't want to admit that people who suffer, particularly those whose suffering might come in the form of not having our advantages, might be as close to God as we are, if not closer. 
We're okay with knowing that Christ died for us, but sometimes not so okay with the idea that he died for everyone, as if we're not special in some way. Ever notice how easy it is to find people in our church who can claim that certain other people don't belong there? It's as if we skipped right over God's, Paul's statement that Christ died for the ungodly and said, well, not those ungodly, he just meant us. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you heard us talk about the rest of this chapter and the difficulties we have in talking about grace. This is the part of the chapter where we come off feeling justified, meaning that God has given us something special, where the other half seems to bog down in explaining the mystery of grace. We seem to get especially bogged down when we have to admit that Christ came to die for us all, since that kind of feeling leads us toward universalism, and that leaves us not feeling so special anymore. I don't particularly want to belabor this point, but it occurs to me that feeling special is the problem. However we come by such thoughts, seeing ourselves as special in some ways means that we see others as not special. From there, it's just a short hop to placing ourselves above others and neglecting God's call to love them without conditions. When we are not laser-focused on loving God and expressing that through the way we love other people, we allow the darkest of sins to enter our lives. If we really love others as we should, is racism even a thing? Do people go hungry? Do we need to fear violence and war? Is it that hard to talk to people with divergent opinions? I don't think so. One of my favorite Christian artists from back in the day was Steve Taylor, who admittedly had some enunciation problems at times, but he had some strong things to say from time to time. It was his one-act opera Cash Cow that brought the issue home when it ends up pointing out that he essentially lost his faith when he was taken in by three little words, I deserve better. And as he said in his song, Jesus is for Losers, they don't grade here on a curve. We both know what we deserve. Those and other songs he was performing back in the day tend to come up when I hear this passage. When we think that we deserve something, when we overlook grace in favor of privilege, we lose the narrative. We waste all the things Paul is trying to celebrate here. Now, I admit, Paul's thinking throughout this chapter leads me both confused by his struggles with explaining hard concepts, and excited about the various sound bites. Amidst all his complex and tortured logic, he says things that I have pulled out time and again for sermons and other materials. Verse 6 is clearly one of the ones you are likely to have heard most often, since it reminds us that Christ died for us all. Still, I find myself more drawn these days to verse 5, which reminds us that hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts. If that's the case, if we live on a hope based on the love God has poured into our hearts, it stands to reason that we need to focus on that love. Justification is nice. It's good to feel special and accepted. But an all-inclusive love that lets everyone else be treated as if they are special lies behind Paul's words here. Let's celebrate that. Now, as always, our world needs that kind of hope. It can change so many of the things that need changing. How has God poured love into your heart today? Thank you, David. You know, listening to that introduction, several things went through my mind. And 
the first one that, that I'm going to say right now, and I may come back to some of the others as they come up, is this idea of suffering. And nobody wants to suffer. We, none of us think we deserve what we're getting most of the time. And, but, but this idea of suffering, I've come to understand it in a bigger way than necessarily bad things happening. My understanding, and actually this came from a Christian Jungian psychologist, and then I have since learned it comes from elements of Buddhism, that the word suffer and suffering doesn't necessarily mean specifically what we think of, like I'm beating you up, I'm you know, taking things from you, we're hurting, we've been destroyed by a natural disaster. Yes, that is suffering. But in the, the, the general sense of not wanting to, and in the Buddhist sense, as well as in a Christian Jungian sense, it just means not having immediate satisfaction right now, right? So to suffer, discipline, means to choose suffering over immediate gratification. I will choose not to overeat. I will choose not to go to this thing at 10 or 11 o'clock at night because I've got to be somewhere at 6 in the morning. So in, in a broader sense, suffering is choosing something that denies your immediate gratification and sort of a hedonistic tendency for something greater in the end. And so then through suffering, through discipline, through wise choices, we, we grow into the future instead of just living in the immediate gratification of the now. And that came to mind when you're talking about that. And I just wanted to throw that out. And you had me thinking about Sally Brown. I, I almost mentioned that in the initial question. If you remember the Peanuts Christmas special, which you know everyone knows the Peanuts Christmas special, there's a point where Sally Brown's trying to write a letter to Santa about what she wants. You know, just bring me money this year to make it easier on yourself, you know, 10s and 20s. And of course, Charlie's outraged by this, but her response is, I just want what's coming to me. I just want to get what I deserve. And that is... So many of us, right there, encapsulated in that one innocent little scene. David, I, I was struck by your comments about about be, seeing ourselves as special, and you know that is such a double-edged concept, isn't it? I mean, I, so I mean, we could talk for a while, I'm sure, about the Super Bowl commercial, that whole series of promotions about you know that Jesus gets us. And on the one hand, yeah, you know, we are special. We're creations of God, and we are all special in that way and worthy and worthwhile and valuable, blah, blah, blah. But does Jesus gets us? Does that mean that I somehow, <laughs> because Jesus gets me, does that give me some kind of special standing? I don't know. Am I making sense here? It feels I have both those emotions at exactly the same time when I hear that language or other language that's similar to it, where on the one hand, I want to acknowledge the value of God's creation, but I also want to be aware of the need for humility in, in how we live and how we receive that worthiness, that it's not because we deserve that, that we've earned it or something, but because it's a gift to us. And I think that giftedness is part of the humility. If we if we approach our status as a gift rather than as something we're owed. That's <laughs> a really different attitude. And like you say, it it affects how we treat others. I don't know. Did you, did it strike you guys that way? That that commercial? I love the commercial. What I don't love is the idea that somehow we're special now. 
okay, Jesus is for everybody, and that's good, that he gets all of us. I love that. And I don't want to be here criticizing the commercial of the campaign because they have been really good commercials. And most of the time, if I didn't know who was behind them, I'd be saying, wow, I'm glad Jesus is finally, you know, people are saying good things about him in some ways. But there's an idea that we have once we've heard a message like this, that, okay, somehow we're special. You can't be special if someone else isn't not special. Mm. You know, like the villain in the movie The Incredibles said, I do lots of movies, when everybody's special, no one is. Yeah. And I think in God's eyes, no one is really that special. We're all the same. And and when we start talking justification and things like this, we naturally start going down that road where suddenly we are more special to God than someone else is special to God. That's a danger we really need to work to avoid. I agree that it is a danger we need to avoid, but I'm not sure saying we're not special is the way to do it. And the reason, so I tell my kids sometimes, I try to convey this to them. I don't know that I always say it this way. You are exceptional in many ways. My son is an exceptional at sensing other pieces of people's emotions. He is incredibly empathetic. My daughter is exceptional as a friend. She is a really good friend. There are lots of ways that they are exceptional people, but they are never the exception. Mm-hmm. And I think that I wonder if Instead of trying to correct our understanding that we are no more special than anybody else, rather, what if we try to teach that there is enough specialness to go around? Mm -hmm. That just because you are special, it doesn't mean that I'm not. And, you know, like, Mm -hmm. because I think that that's a lot of what our, why we want to be special and, and. Maybe special is not the right word, but I think that there is no limit on how God's love comes to us. There's no limit on, there's no limit on God's love for us. There is no limit on how God delights in us and God's delight in another person does not take away God's delight in me. Sounds like the lesson of Jonah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doggone it, God. You can't love them. Right? Because you, you love me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, it so often is the case. We can we can give a lot of attention to what the scriptures say, which is good. But we we always, I think, find meaning in looking at the life of Jesus and what Jesus does how he lives, how he chooses to treat other people. And, you know, that that old phrase, actions speak louder than words. I mean, there's a lot there to listen to. Because if we look, you know, if we look at this passage we've been studying today, and then we look at the life of Jesus, we don't see someone that walked around as if they were the Son of God. Because certainly there would be a deserving level, <laughs> right, of right. acknowledgement of that, of what's the word I'm looking for, of my language is gone. Controversy? <laughs> well, people would recognize it and behave appropriately around such royalty, such, 
you know, such an esteemed guest. It, and not that he wasn't honored and loved, but we don't see Jesus expecting, deserving in a way that probably I would do. <laughs> you know, if I was somebody special and showing up and walking around, there's, you know, there's a certain kind of treatment we know we give to special people. And so I guess I say, while we read this passage, it might be good to also watch the actions of Jesus and to recognize the wisdom of the way it may be easier to watch and emulate than to explain <laughs> the way Jesus embodies both being the chosen and loved Son of God, but also that Messiah who comes and is one of us and with us walking alongside us. That is, it's a wonderful contrast, hard to explain, hence Paul. <laughs> and, and yet, Jesus shows us a way of living that works with that. So, watch the actions as you read this passage. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.